Just first, if you're visiting, just wanted to say uh, welcome. Really glad that you're here with us to uh, gather with us here at Church at Bergen. We just do uh, one main thing. It's very simple. We worship Jesus. We believe Jesus is the author of all things, that he is God, that he atoned for sin, that he ransomed and rescues people to himself and uh, gives us our greatest need met uh, in our sin, which is giving his perfect life in exchange for our sinful life. And so we just celebrate all that he is, all that he's done. We do that three main ways. We sing songs like we're doing that talk about his wondrous works, how great he is, how good he is. We do that by sitting under the preached word of God. We hear sermons that talk about, again, who Jesus is, what he's done, why he's great, why he's omniscient, omnipotent, all the wondrous attributes and characteristics of him, how he reveals perfectly the Father and all that he says and all that he does, which is why we're walking through the gospel of Luke right now. It's been an awesome study walking through this gospel that, that Luke is writing where we get to see the life and teachings of Jesus. We get to kind of see who he is and what he's like and what he's done because Luke is particularly writing to a Roman official, Theophilus, who is skeptical of the things of Christianity. And so Luke wants you to know that you can be certain of him. You can be certain of who he is. Is, you can be certain of his life and his teachings, and he wants that to transform you. He doesn't want that just to be facts you read in a book. He wants you to understand that these things inwardly renew you and change you as you see and look at the God-man Jesus. And the last way that we worship Jesus is by giving, and we give because God was most generous in giving us himself in his son, and we give in the small black box in the back. Many of you guys give online too, so thank you as always for your generosity uh, in that way. Um, one of the things we're going to do this morning uh, is we are going to be installing three men as elders. And uh, what a joyous day this is, what a longed day this is. Uh, this is a milestone for us as a church. If you're new or you're just it's your first time here, uh, we planted this church a little over two years ago. Uh, we were praying for God to raise up men, raise up uh, people to serve in different aspects of ministry. Uh, what we love about the scriptures, if you read the New Testament, is that, well, really the whole Bible, but especially the New Testament, is God is very clear as to how his church operates, how his church is to order themselves, how they are to gather, what they are to do. And so there are some things that are really crystal clear from him, and one of those things is God gifts the church elders, and we see that the Holy Spirit actually ordains them. We see that the members of the church who actually choose to submit to these leaders, they affirm them, and then the elders ultimately install them. And so uh, what happened was, let me just give you a, a little uh, background on the eldership process here, is uh, we take eldership very, 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 very seriously. And so um, we decided that we were going to have a, a process set up, and so um, we had men's names that were brought from many of you, and also uh, men that we believed his leadership were right and were qualified, and we walked for almost a year, about 10 months, uh, every Wednesday morning at 6.15 a.m. with lots of coffee, and we just walked through with them theological clarity and character and personal holiness and oversight and shepherding and, and all of these wonderful, beautiful things and confessed sin and repented and prayed, and uh, God did a, a great work through that time. We established membership in the meantime of that, and then we presented these men to the members, the covenant members, and said, uh, come back, lend me feedback if you think there's anything disqualifying about these men, and nothing disqualifying of nature came back, and so we are excited to be here at this moment to have a full plurality of men to shepherd this church, uh, not just me. Um, trust me, I've longed for this more than you have. So I know you guys are like, oh yeah, we want plurality. I'm like, I do too. Like, you think I like doing this like solo? So, so we're, uh, we're thrilled about that. We are uh, excited that these men who, who I love like family, uh, who love you, who, have, who pray daily for you. I mean, many of these men I've seen it, 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 through tears praying for the sheep here. Uh, love this church. Uh, have pastored many of you. Uh, have shepherded many of you, even not under a, a, a title uh, or anything like that, and so 
Um, we're going to have them come forward. We're going to have Michael McKinney, uh, Don Hoitzman, and John Ido come on up, and we're going to have them go through some commitments, and then we're going to lay hands, as we see in Old Testament and New Testament, as a practice, and then uh, we're just going to celebrate God for what uh, he's done and pray that God would raise up more uh, elders for the church to serve, uh, raise up deacons after this, that he would continue to, to use all, I mean, all of us are operating, I, I always say, that uh, titles don't amount to a whole lot. Uh, we are all called to be ministers and pastors, all right? So, so this is not, you're more supreme or valuable than someone else. This is just operative. This is just description and uh, as to how God acts us, calls us to work in unique ways. And so uh, I'm going to read just uh, 11 of these commitments uh, that you guys will commit to uh, this church here uh, and repeat after me if you agree to them, which I, I hope. Uh, after going through all of this, there aren't any surprises. Uh, you could just simply say, we will. We commit to seeing ourselves first as men, then Christians, then members of church at Bergen, and then called to the responsibilities and duties of an elder. Good. One for one. <laughs> we got ten more. Uh, we submit ourselves and our families to the care and oversight of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We place our lives, our marriages, and our children under his good care. We commit to shepherd church at Bergen as servants of the church, not for personal gain or glory, but joyfully as unto the Lord. We commit to giving sound oversight to the church's mission, its core identities, its use of resources, and care for people's lives. We commit to praying for the sick, encouraging the downtrodden, rebuking the idle, and helping the weak. We yeah, it's an emotional day. It's a good day. We commit to seeking the wisdom of God by the leading of the scriptures and the light of the Holy Spirit as we make decisions together. We commit to live in courage to protect the church from those who would seek to harm her or lead her astray. We commit to uphold and preach sound biblical doctrine and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We commit to work to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in our community. We commit to love one another and forgive one another, for love covers a multitude of sin and forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. And finally, we will seek together to live for the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ, both locally and globally. Amen. Uh, before I give them a charge from Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, two places we see a really great charge, two men who, who lead Jesus' church. Um, the, the reason I'm going to lay hands on them in a minute and then have you all affirm by the extension of your hand is we see the laying out of hands in the Old Testament and the New Testament, symbolic of passing on of blessing and authority. So it's not just affirmation. It's a rightly ordained authority that someone is conveying or passing on to someone else. And so that's why, we're gonna, that's why I'm going to lay hands on them in the future. The, the plurality of elders will lay hands on future elders. And, and members and people that agree with this will affirm by the extension of their hand. 
Um, and uh, that's an exciting thing we see. We, we get this also from 1 Timothy 5, where Timothy's very clear, hey, don't hastily put people in office. Um, many people uh, were wondering why the day we planted Cowboy, we didn't have a plurality of men. We didn't have that luxury. Uh, that is a luxury. Uh, that's not a, 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 a given. And uh, God had appointed me, and then he graciously brought others. And so uh, we see that, that clear in the scriptures that, hey, take your time. Uh, walk with men, get to see them in the life of the church, get other people to see them in the life of the church uh, so that you can do this. So we see that there. We also see that elders ultimately install through Titus 1, um, through Acts 20, uh, these other places where the elders are called to go point other elders. But we believe firmly in the affirmation and agreement of the members who choose to joyfully submit to the leadership of their local church. We say all the time, if you haven't taken a membership class, uh, you'll learn this if you do take it, uh, that we believe that you're not called to, to submit to every elder in America or every elder in New Jersey. Uh, you're called by God to submit to the elders who you have decided to, in some formal way, submit to and come under and, and be a part of that local community context with. And so um, for those of you that are members, uh, we encourage you to extend your hand. For those of you who are just in agreement and affirm, you can as well. I'm going to read these two charges. One is from Acts 20, and then the other one's from 1 Peter 5, and then we'll uh, lay hands and pray. This is what Paul writes to the uh, elders in Ephesus. This is a, just a great, great text. He says this in Acts 20, 28, which I commend to you guys. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer or elder. Overseer is the same word for elder, pastor. To care for the church of God that he obtained with his own blood. Final charge I'll give you is from 1 Peter 5. A beautiful charge, a weighty one. 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Why don't you guys, uh, let's gather together, face the church, and... Uh, those of you in the congregation who affirm this, agree with this, you guys can just extend your hand uh, towards them, and uh, I'll pray for these men and thank God for them. God, we praise you that you are first our chief shepherd, that you are the ultimate pastor, that God, we are simple servants, we are under shepherds, God, we're thankful for your sovereign care of these men. We're thankful that you saw it good to place them in office. Father, we pray for these three men, God, that they would love, care for, oversee, shepherd this faith family well. That, God, they'd be faithful to their families, faithful to their wives, faithful to their children, and most importantly, faithful to you. God, I pray that you would protect their personal holiness God, that you keep sin and its lurings and enticement far from them. God, may they love this church as family. May they love the men as sons and the women as daughters and sisters. 
and brothers. God, we pray that you would work in them, that you would refine them. God, for no one has arrived, no one is perfectly made holy. That's only because of the righteous work of your son, Jesus. God, thank you that these men are not perfect, but they're repentant men. God, keep them in a discipline of just living a repentant life. God, may they be used for your glory. God, we charge them in front of witnesses. We thank you for them. We pray that you'd use them. We pray that you'd strengthen them. We pray that we would be prayer warriors for them. That God, we would love them. That we would make their job a joy, not a burden. That they would be a relief and a refuge to the members here. God, may they teach what is right. May they follow you with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God, we're thankful uh, just to celebrate this day. Another day, it's seeing you visibly building and establishing your church, which is your bride, which you purchased with the priceless gift of your son. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Amen. 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 Okay, well, uh, grab your Bible, go to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and uh, I say this a lot with, um, with teaching. I know that uh, some guys are uh, just really super gifted, and so they plot out their sermons, uh, you know, like weeks ahead, and uh, I just, I'm not, that, I'm not that gifted, so I just kind of go till I stop, uh, go till the Holy Spirit stops me, so with the nature of this week, we're just doing four verses. Uh, now, don't get crazy. I know you're thinking, oh, geez, we thought you were going to do four, then you finally gave us some breaks in Luke's. So we're not here for the next century. Uh, but no, we're going to do four today, then we're going to get back on track probably. We're just going to look at the leper this morning, uh, a man that Jesus deals with graciously. We're going to see, I think, a, a lot of beauties uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in here, in him meeting him, encountering him. And here's kind of the, the way it's going to roll out, is you're going to basically see a very unlikely man, okay, come to an unlikely place, and receive a really unlikely gift, okay? So that's what we're going to see in this man who is this leper who has the disease of leprosy. And uh, get to Luke 5, uh, verse 12, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, just jump right in with the re remainder of the few minutes that we have. So, um, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. God, thank you that it actually cuts to the very deepest spaces of our hearts and exposes what's good and right to be exposed. God, thank you that uh, the good news of Jesus um, heals us in that. God, I pray this morning that you would uh, be kind to us, that you would illuminate eyes, that you would open deaf ears, that you would give sight to the blind, that God, you would show us more of the glory that is Jesus. God, that we would just enjoy your word, that we would marvel at the riches inside of it. God, teach us, challenge us, convict us, change us. God, if there are any here who don't know you or are not a Christian, who have not leaned into the free mercy offered in Jesus, they would do that this morning. They would see you as good, see you as saving, see you as fully worthy of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 12. Uh, 12. Wow, we skipped a lot. We're going, we're skipping seven chapters. No, Luke chapter 5. Here's, here's what I want you to remember. And I mentioned this last week. So, so remember this. As, as you kind of walk through Jesus' ministry, just to get you caught up to speed, what we've been seeing is this writer Luke, okay, he was a physician. He was really interested in, in disease and deformity and illness because he was by trade a doctor. So that's why you're going to see the majority in this gospel. A lot of things having to do with illness and healing and disease. 
Um, he wants, again, to lay before you why you can trust the life and teachings of Jesus and be changed by it. And so we saw him kind of ramping up, giving all these testimonies of all these people that testified to the deity and the godness of Jesus. Okay, so, so Luke is really systematic and kind of laying out for you why you can trust the life and teachings of Jesus. So what does he do? He starts the whole book with angelic testimony coming to Zechariah and ultimately to Mary saying, hey, you guys are going to have kids. Through your kids, going to pave the way for this Messiah. Mary, yours is going to be this deliverer, be this Messiah that for years and years and years the Old Testament has been longing for this, this one to break through God's silence, to break through the, the darkness. You've been in exile and in, in freedom and out of exile and in camps and out of camps and doing atonements and sacrifices and all these different things. There's one that's going to come and, and make it all right. He's going to make rework everything that went wrong post-Genesis 3. And so we see all these testimonies that this Jesus is going to do that. So we see it through the angels giving testimony, then we see it through the virgin birth, we see it on the temple mount as they bring Jesus for his child dedication, and Anna and Simeon, these two elderly that, that also uh, encourage that. We see it through another angelic testimony that is confirmed by lowly shepherds, right, the, the outcasts, outcasts of the day. We see that continue to happen as he's even 12 years old. He's, he's in the temple. He ascribes to his own deity. Uh, we see it kind of sealed as he goes into the wilderness and he, he takes on Satan in the temptation and shows his authority over Satan's sin and death. So you're just seeing Luke kind of systematically roll out for you. Hey, I'm laying a foundation for you. I'm ascribing all the reasons why you can believe and know this is the God man, that he is God, that he is fully human, fully God, and that he is going to ransom and rescue sinners, that he can do that. And so we're just consistently seeing him lay out for us this understanding of who Jesus is. That's why he also kind of inserted that lineage. We talked about that, right? He put in that lineage that showed messianic lineage, even though it was Mary's lineage, that it still gets there, right? Even though his father by blood was not his father, his father was legally through adoption, his father Joseph, and even Joseph has lineage back to the right place. And so we're seeing messianic lineage. We're seeing all the right pieces in place that Jesus can absolutely be who he's going to claim he would be. And so after he lays that foundation, what does Jesus do? He gets up and gives his first sermon. And what's his first sermon? Learn his first sermon is, hey, I came what? To give rescuing and freedom and deliverance to who? The spiritually poor, the spiritually blind, the spiritual prisoner, the spiritually oppressed person. Okay? Those specifically and particularly who are oppressed by religious arrogance and observance. So here's what that means. This is why you'll see in, in this gospel too, anytime someone's sick or has a disease, what is someone going to say to them? Whose sin was it? That made you sick. You or your parents. Why are they saying that? Because they believed you were just cursed from God if you were sick or had a deformity or had an illness. You're going to see that play out over and over and over. So you see Jesus clearly invading that space, right? And going after that saying, no, no, I, I ransom and rescue whoever comes and repents and bows their knee to me, right? I mean, the at the foot of the cross, there's grace for all. We're seeing it's going to open up not just to Jew but to Gentile. That nations and tribes and tongues are all going to be welcomed into the family of God. What a beautiful reality. And, uh, and it's just a, a foreshadowing of uh, Revelation 7 and 14. And so uh, here we're going to see, is Jesus going to back up what he said? He said he came to do that, so is he going to do that? Is he going to ransom and rescue all these people who are spiritually, born, spiritually blind, spiritually a prisoner, spiritually oppressed? So last week we saw the ministry and mission of Jesus intensifying. It got, got kind of personal, right? Now it's gonna, we're seeing the call of discipleship. He sees Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, follow me. They lay their eyes on the infinitely worthy Jesus. They leave everything, leave their vocation, leave their nets that are full with fish, and they go and follow Jesus. 
Why? Because he's worthy. He's their greatest treasure. And we're gonna, you're going to see that continue to unfold. They left everything and followed him. You're going to see that over and over and over, just ascribing to the worth of Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in verse 12, where Jesus is preaching. He's, he's doing ministry. Here's what it says in verse 12. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Okay, I don't know how familiar you are with leprosy. Okay, It's not terribly common today, right? So let's just get a little bit of background. Leprosy was a horrific disease. Vile. Um, you, you had these, what started out as rashes, it turned into sores. Actually, parts of your body could cave in, uh, in your head, in your face. Um, you eventually just lost all feeling uh, due to desensitization. Sometimes your eyes would fall out because the pockets in your eyes would erode. Uh, just horrific disease. You were looked at as the scum of society. Not welcome. People didn't want to walk near you. You were, you were deeply lonely. Um, there were even writings from rabbis that said that if they saw a leper, they would try to stone them to death because they believed they were good as just a dead man. And so you were treated as if you were just a, a walking dead corpse. So just, I mean, imagine the life you're living, okay, as a leper. Okay, just, just horrific, awful disease. And this man, this leper who is, he, and, and that's why it's important, he's full of leprosy. I think Luke is showing us, he's got, he's got the fullest extent. Okay, this isn't someone who's like just kind of getting it. He's got a little bit of blemish, a little bit of spot. This guy, I mean, he's, he is just, he might have missing fingers and parts of his toes, and, and he probably looks like someone with great deformity full of leprosy, desperately wants to get to Jesus, okay? So, but here's what's interesting. Jesus is in a city, okay? He's around a lot of religious people. He's around a lot. So this is really interesting and strange for a leper to want to even do this, okay? You don't, you don't go out in the daytime. When you're a leper, you stay in the dark shadows. You come out at night. You don't want people to see you. You don't want people to look upon you. So, so here this leper comes out in broad daylight. He wants to see Jesus because news has been traveling. He hears about Jesus healing people. He hears about Jesus making people new and making people clean. And so um, here comes this leper who probably didn't shower or bathe in a couple years. They never did that because it just caused, even just running water would cause more pain on their sores. And you know further, I said the prevailing thought was that if you were diseased, you were cursed from God. So people didn't want to get near you. We're going to talk a lot more about that, what that means, and what that looked like. Leviticus 13, you can go there. You'll see that a person who had an infectious disease wasn't even allowed inside the camp. But why? Because God was trying to show that he is so clean and so pure and so holy that, that our sin and uncleanliness can't be anywhere near him. So if you had any type of illness or disease, you couldn't get inside the camp without being verified that you were healed, which we're going to see in a minute, or uh, be someone who a priest could validate, okay, this is now no longer gone, you no longer have this disease, you can kind of come inside. It was never meant to be something that, that shunned people to, to bother them or oppress them. It was always to make the point that God is holy and pure and clean. And that, that any type of sin, any type of filth just can't even be near him. Okay, so that, that's always what it was. So you, this is, these people all knew that. They knew the Old Testament. They, they knew what this was like. They knew the, all the stories. They knew that this was the, the type of uh, position that people would see on them. In fact, man, when you would actually go towards the camp, you had to scream out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, just so people knew, and people would just run from you. And so here we see the leper come to Jesus in an unlikely place, a city. He's desperate to get to Jesus. And look at the posture of this guy. 
falls on his knees. Matthew will go on to say, he'll actually use the word, he worshiped Jesus. He, his posture is one of worship, desperation, utter humility at the feet of Jesus. His whole body language is showing this leper falls to his face and worships Jesus. And here's what I love about this picture. He's on his knees. He's totally humiliated to probably the fullest extent that any of us could ever even understand. And he worships Jesus, but Jesus hasn't even healed him yet. I mean, what's... Here's what I think is so profound about this and what I love is this is the posture of how we come to Jesus. But, but here's the, the, the common thought of the day, right? In evangelicalism and even in a lot of Christian circles is, hey, we tell Jesus what to do and then we'll worship, right? So we don't get on our face. We're not at his bidding or his disposal. We say, okay, hey, fix me, change this, make much of me. They, then I might worship you. So we're bartering, we're making deals, there's contracts. You're signing. God's like, I'm not signing that. I never signed that. It's based on my covenant to you. And so that's just how we work in our minds and our hearts. So we tell God, hey, do this, 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 and this. Sign on the dotted line, then you might get my worship. How insane. Right? This guy says he's worshiping Jesus. God hasn't even healed him. So he's basically saying, I'm worshiping you, not based upon anything you do for me. You're solely worthy of worship. So I'm on my face. I know you can heal me. Hey, if you will, will you please do it? I'm not telling you you have to. I'm not making you do anything. I'm not going to be disgruntled if you don't. I'm just appealing to your full authority. Insane. Check that with the way we do things. Right? I don't know. I don't know, God. I, I just... You haven't really shown up like I wanted you to this week, so why should I give you time? Why should I worship you? Why? And all of a sudden, functionally, you start acting like the creator, and God's the created, right? And you start treating him like you made him when God made us, and God designed it all to work the way it should, and yet we think in our own mind that we're somehow more brilliant than the creator of all things. So this is how sex should work, this is how drink should work, this is how relationships should work, this is how marriage should work. This... Well, hold on a second. Okay, he's like, I made it. I made you. I know how diseases healed. You don't. This man gets it. He knows who he's in the presence of. He's, he's keenly aware of that. He knows that he has no rights. He knows that Jesus has all of them. And so he comes in a posture of Humility, and this is the posture that you come to before the God of the universe. And I love this. He says, if you will, make me clean. Think about, think about how we think salvation works. I'm supposed to say some words, and then God's supposed to save me. Like, this chant gives me something. Not true. True posture is, Luke 18, is there mercy for me? God, will you save me? Like, like I, I'm, I'm a sinner in desperate need of reworking and renewing. I realize I don't have it all figured out. I can't, I can't, I can't do this thing. I realize that I've belittled your name. I've committed treason against the God of the universe. I mean, I, I, I'm at your bidding. I, I, don't, I don't tell you what to do. I don't say, hey, God, I'm going to accept you, and then you've got to do all this stuff for me. No, you, you lay on your face in utter humility, and you say, hey, is there mercy for me? Like, I see my need. 
Like, I see I need saving. Like, like I hope there's still mercy. I mean, do you see the difference in even just posture before God? You know, we kind of lay out, if we're not careful, this, this idea where, hey, just say this, and he's good. You're good. You're good. No, I mean, where is the understanding? You've got to get lost before you can be found, right? You've got you to realize that you need to be saved from something. You've got to realize the place that you're in. And so this man is a beautiful, explicit picture at how a sinner comes to Christ. Just utterly humble, destitute, desperate for his healing. Going, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm outcast, I, I have no hope, I, I see my frailty, I see how vile I am, I, I see what my sin is, and I know I'm, at, I'm fully at your disposal. If you're going to do anything, will you make me clean? Will you heal me? Will you extend your hand? Amazing. No pride, no arrogance, not an ounce of bartering. And we see this just profound picture right here. This, this guy is the attitude of the Beatitudes. Like, he is a beatitude man in Matthew. He realizes he's poor in spirit. He's meek. He realizes his desperate need for Jesus. And I love it. The leper comes to him as a place where he knows that he has no claims, no rights. And I want you to notice, you're going to continually see in the Gospels verbiage being cleanliness and not just healing. Why? Because Jesus didn't come just to heal people. He came to make you clean. He came to expiate your sin. We're going to talk about that in a minute, that, that word expiation, right? He had, a, he had a atone for guilt that was there. Okay, so if Jesus just came to heal you, that's not, that's not good news. If he comes and just heals this guy from his diseases, makes him look like a, what, a normal human with full skin, his eyes, hands, and he operates fine, does that really do the greatest need? Does it really meet the greatest need for this man? No. He needs to clean him, which is interesting. You'll see this wording all the time from people, make me clean. Clean me. I need, cle- I need cleansing. That's why First John, right, he not only forgives us, he then cleanses us, right, from all unrighteousness. He not just forgives, he cleans, he makes right. We're going to chat about this in a minute. Look at Jesus' response in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. That was crazy. Actually, one of the rules that the religious leaders made in that day was you weren't even allowed to touch people with illnesses and deformities, thought it would be contagious and get on you. And what I love is you're going to see Jesus always obeys the scriptures, but he doesn't obey man-made rules. Okay? You're going to see him consistently do that. Okay, and here's what he does. He stretches out his hand and touches him and says, I will be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Okay. Let me help us get even, even deeper into the story here, okay, just for a minute. Josephus, real, real common, he's not a Christian, a first century historian. He, he wrote about a lot of these things that would happen. He, he said that rabbis at the time, they, they wouldn't even unshell an egg and eat it if a leper walked by it. I mean, that, that's how insane they were about thinking about this contagion from lepers. They ta- I told you how they said a lot of people would just try to stone them if they were nearby. They didn't want him near him out of like self-defense. He goes on to talk about how next to touching a dead body was touching a leper, the worst form of defilement. They were barred from cities. If a leper ever walked near a synagogue or a town or a village, they were put in a baketska. It was an isolated room where they weren't allowed out. Like prison isolation. Couldn't come near people. Being a leper was the worst imaginable. You are horribly ugly, 
horribly deformed. Socially isolated, economically isolated, isolated from family, isolated from friends. So imagine here, you haven't felt physical touch in years. Like you haven't felt someone's skin. You know they do studies. I mean, that's why we know raising kids, if you don't show them physical attention and affection, it actually can harm them physically, emotionally as they grow up. I mean, they have not felt physical affection or even shown attention. And all of a sudden, he feels touch on his skin. Can you imagine just what that was like? Someone's skin is touching mine? Insane. And it's Jesus reaching out his hand. And Jesus, that's why it's, he's purposeful in doing this. Okay? He's purposeful in touching him. Because Jesus could have made him clean by just a word. He could have. But Jesus reaches out, uses his hand, and he touches the leper. <laughs> and I love this because Jesus is getting involved in his illness. And what's awesome is this is a beautiful picture of our sin, okay? Horribly ugly, ugly, horribly hopeless, outside of God. We have no rights to him, right? We have no ability to be healed on our own, right? We are, we are looked at as, I mean, this is how God sees our sin is as we see leprosy. Okay, just vile, rank me, can't, can't be near it, right? Can't be in his camp. Okay, so, so these lepers who are looked at the outcast, they're avoided by everyone. Imagine all these people watching Jesus fully engage this man and touch him. Right, and this is consistently rolling out the, the classic example of Jesus where he consistently goes after, engages, and loves the outcast, the lowly, the person who's desperately sick, seeing their need of a savior. And the religious people are always standing around going, oh, wow, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Don't you know this rule? Don't you know that law? Jesus consistently says, I came for the sick. I came for the sinner. I came for the one who saw their need for healing and rescuing in the cross of Jesus Christ. And here we see Jesus in this amazing illustration of sin reach out and touch this man. Man, lepers, they don't receive grace. They don't receive attention. You ignore them. You shun them. And all of a sudden, Jesus, as these people are probably trying to drive him out, shows unparalleled compassion for this guy, unparalleled mercy. And he heals him, right? And here's what's awesome. He heals this guy, and instantaneously, it's a new day for him. Brand new day. You know what he's doing? He's going to make new friends. He's going to go back be able to be with his family, maybe make new, meet new family members. Society, he's going to get back in, maybe get a job. Everything else, it, he's literally made new. He's a new man. He's going to re-enter society as someone completely different. What a beautiful picture of someone who becomes a Christian. Right? You're literally made new. You re-enter society completely different. You've got a new family. Right? The family of God. You're totally redeemed. You're totally healed of your sin. There's not any spot or blemish on you anymore. Right? He gives you his perfectly clean life. And we're seeing this in this man. We're seeing this in this leper who's experiencing the, the foreshadowing of the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, just by him touching him and healing him. And so Jesus heals him with, with just a touch. It's a new day. Man, brother, sister, if you were here this morning and you know and there's, there's dark spaces in your life where you're like, man, if that was just exposed on these screens, I would just want to hide in a cave for the rest of my existence. You know, 
Jesus loves to invade that space. Like he, he loves to reach his hand out and, 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 and touch that, to clean you of that. And, and here's what's awesome. Like, like by nothing you do. Like it's not like, okay, I got to kind of fix this up and kind of try to shove a bunch of rocks over it to cover it. No, he literally takes it from you, buries it, r- rises again, and gives you his clean life. Gives you his full righteous robe. Wraps you in it. Now walk. You're clean. That's what he's saying to this man. Can you imagine the joy of this guy? I mean, this is joy in salvation, right? You're, you're clean the moment Jesus touches you in his gospel, and you rejoice. You got new family. You got new establishment. You're made new. 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creation. You're not just a tweaked version of your old self. You're new. And then you walk in newness of life. This is amazing what Luke is rolling out for us. He's showing us Luke is the God-man. He's showing us that his life and teachings don't just teach us things, they transform you. So this isn't just a story about a leper who gets touched by a guy. He wants to teach you about the saving work of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says next, verse 14. Interesting, a little odd. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. For proof to them. Okay, boy, that's tough. Hey, best day of your life. Hey, close your mouth. Right? Well, you, know, you know how hard that is to keep your mouth shut? Come on. You guys all know how hard that is. Don't act like you don't gossip and talk about everything. You, you hear something greater, you just get a, listen, some of you guys, your kid gets a B, you got a bumper sticker. Right? So, I mean, we all know what it's like. We want to tell everybody, man. Or you have those weird ones with, like, I got seven kids, and this is how they look. They're all in white, like, stick figures on the back of the car. I don't really get that, but this is, like, how it plays out. We just want to tell everybody everything about us. So imagine, man, this is much better than your stick figure, you know, family on your car. This is you're healed from leprosy. You want to go tell everyone, and Jesus says, hey, mm, keep your mouth shut. What? Now, we know according to Mark, he doesn't listen really well. He does go and tell some people. But he ultimately makes his way to Jerusalem, which is probably a couple days walking. And, and here's why. Jesus reveals why he doesn't want him to talk just yet, is he wants to clarify and verify his healing to a priest. Now, here's why he wants to do this, okay? Um, here's basically what's happening. If you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14, you see the priest in Leviticus 13, they diagnose the illness. And in Leviticus 14, the priests verify that the person's healed or not. Okay, so here's what would happen. The person, say he was a leper, he would come to the camp. If he was healed, or if you think he didn't have it anymore, he would go to the priest, whoever the mediator was between God and man, right? And the, the priest would verify and validate whether or not he was healed or not. Now, if he was, they would, they would have these two birds, one they would kill, okay, and one they would set free. Very similar to the Day of Atonement, right? Where they would, they would kill the goat and set one away, right? Showing that, that the blood of Jesus is all foreshadows the cross of Christ and his finished work. That the blood forgives us of sin, and then the one that's sent away cleanses you. It's taken away. Okay, that would all be done over this big bowl of clean water, symbolizing that God is a gracious God. Okay, so, so th- this, this all would happen. They would do this in this moment. So Jesus, again, following the scriptures, says, hey, you know what to do? Go verify it. Okay, remember Moses, Old Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote this out. Go find a priest. Probably went to Jerusalem, a couple days walk, probably went to the synagogue, met with him, showed him, hey, I'm healed. The priest would verify it, validate it, and again, they would 
have those two birds and literally participate in what Jesus, the very man who just sent him there, would ultimately do on the cross three years later. I mean, amazing all of the pictures and foreshadowings that we see coming here. So what we're seeing here is the beautiful work of Christ called expiation. Okay, that just basically means there's guilt. Whenever there's guilt, something has to atone for it. Something has to remove the guilt. Something has to clean it. So Jesus does it. Right? Ultimately, we're seeing that Jesus is going to clean your guilt. Jesus is going to expiate your guilt. Jesus is going to totally eradicate that from your life. That's amazing. So Jesus makes us clean. Now, here's what we see. 1 Peter 1, what does it say? You will all be ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus, which is what? Has no spot or blemish. Right? I mean, that's the language you're seeing. Spot or blemish, like leprosy. Right? It's not going to have any. It's going to clean you. You're going to see language like that all throughout the scriptures. So it means that Jesus sees our sin as we see leprosy. I mean, Think about how people saw leprosy. I mean, think about what we just talked about. That's how God sees sin. I mean, and far worse, okay? That's just the best we can try to conjure up or understand in our finite minds. Vile. Can't be near it. Horrible. Unclean. Stench. Smell. destroys, kills, rots, right? That's how Jesus, Jesus sees sin. God sees sin like we see leprosy, like people of the day saw leprosy. And what does he do? He doesn't avoid it. Is that not crazy? He doesn't avoid it. He not only touches it, he gets so involved in it that he puts it on himself, right? And he, and, he, and he literally bears it on the cross. So he takes all of the vile stench, awful, all this sin, and he pours it on himself. He takes it, and what does he do for you? He gives you his clean life. He says, go free. I'm going to credit you my righteous life. I'm going to take all of your sin on me. Why? Out of crazy love, grace, and mercy, and all the wrath that is due on top of the vile nature of your sin, I'm going to absorb that too, that is due you on the day of judgment. And Jesus makes you utterly clean. He cleanses you. He not only forgives you of sin. That's not enough, right? I say this all the time. Some of us have this uh, understanding that, okay, we just got to be forgiven of all sin. That makes you to zero. That's not enough. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. That's not enough. You need to be credited infinite righteousness. If you don't have infinite righteousness, you can't stand in the throne room before God. Like if you're just forgiven, you're still not clean. You're just forgiven. So Jesus goes a step further and makes you clean. He says, here's my righteousness. Go walk in it for free. Best payday of the year, buddy. I mean, lottery ticket one. And we rejoice and we celebrate and we worship him. Why? Because he's made you clean. Listen. That leopard, do you think he's going to live the same? No. What's his gratitude like? What is his thankfulness like? What is, what is his soul like? What is his heart like when he leaves? What are you like when you were cleansed by Jesus? Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that miracle of grace in your life? Have you forgotten the crazy thing that he did for you and seeing you in your leprosy of sin and washing you white? Did you say, hey, that's, a, that's cool, thanks. 
I'm still just going to live how I want. You're my sidekick. I still control my life. No, he's Lord, he's master, he's redeemer, he's all things. When you're healed, when you're shown grace, gospel grace, you can't walk the same. You can't live the same. You can't be the same, and he makes us new. I was reading this, um, you know, thing about after the leper meets with the priest and is considered clean. This was awesome. They would actually cut all their hair, shave him, give him a bath, literally make him like this new person. Okay? All, everything else would just be taken off. He would look completely different. Can you imagine for years how long your hair grows, beard, face? And, and I, as I was thinking about that looking like us becoming a, a Christian, I, I could not stop thinking. I could not stop thinking, if that's how he really sees me in my sin, why? Like, why would he want to touch me? Like, right? Why would he want to make me one of his own? Why? I mean, why would he want to just credit me a clean life? Why? Like, like that's, that's a good place to be. That's a good question to ask because rationally, he shouldn't. It shouldn't make sense. That's the wonder of grace, right? Isn't that the wonder of mercy? Isn't that the miracle of the gospel? I mean, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever lay your, you, you spend time with people, or you lay your eyes on someone, or you, you meet with them and talk with them, you're just, you leave just stirred. Like you love him, you, you have affections for him, you're just, man, there, there's just a, a degree to the gospel that person gets that I'm like just lacking, right? I mean, they are just keenly aware of grace. And I I just, I ask God to give me that. And make me keenly aware of grace. Make me keenly aware of your saving work, your mercy, your unparalleled compassion for me in my leprosy of sin. Why'd you touch me? Why'd you love me? Why'd you wrap me in white? Why did you bear my sin and my filth, my, the vile stuff I've done? Man, you, you, I know some of you are going, oh, you're a pastor. You've like done like only like 20 sins. No, listen, like that's so weird. If you knew the, the darkness of my heart, like, if you, if you knew the, the thoughts that have, like, that still go through my head. Like, do you get it? Like, right now, in this, like, do you understand your sin? Like, are you aware of what it does to your soul and your mind and your marriage? And, and, and are, you, are you aware of the stuff that you view on the Internet? Like, are, are you aware of what that's really doing inwardly? Like, are, are you aware of the ways that when you've betrayed people and done things in darkness, are you just aware of it so that the whiteness of Jesus can just blow your mind? I just kept thinking this week, why? Well, I don't know. But he did it. And I rejoice in it. And I thank him for it. Why would he take my leprosy to the cross? I don't know. And that's why I want you to just, it's good to take minutes where you can think about and, and track. And here's the thing. If you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? I've never really done anything totally vile or bad. Okay? One, you're lying. Two, two, right? 
You know what Jesus says even about those really good things you try to do? He says they're like dirty dish towels, filthy rags, right? Like they're still really, they might even be more filthy to his eyes than some people in outright adultery, outright sin, because in your pride and religious arrogance, you think you're so good. And it's so damning, right? Okay, so, so we're both dirty, so find your place on this scale and just take yourself to the place you are and the ways that you've belittled his name, committed treason against the God of the universe, tried to act like the creator, not like the created. Go to just that deepest, darkest space. Maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was last week, maybe it was 10 years ago where you just felt dirty, filthy, vile, you were keenly aware of your imperfections. And there, Christ and his cross, and you're mine. You're mine. Profound. Profound. You're his. Yeah, 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 right there in that state. I died for you there, right? You're mine. Welcome home. Welcome to purity. Welcome to be wiped clean. Welcome to be, I atoned for the guilt. I expiated it all. That's where you got to get your heart. And Jesus did that for this leper. Look at how it ends, verse 15. This is awesome. Even, even more the report about him went abroad, right? Everyone's talking about it now. He just healed a leper? No one touches a leper. No one avoids lepers. Wait, he touched him? He didn't just speak, he even touched him. You're not supposed to do that. That's a rule, man-made rule. It's not a scriptural rule. And great crowds gathered to hear him. Of course they did. Everyone wants to be healed. Of what? Their infirmities. Everyone wants healing. This guy heals you? Now, I don't know that everyone wanted to be, to know what they really needed cleansing of. You see that consistently in the Gospels. People just want a fanfare. They want a circus. Make me better. I don't want to worship you, Jesus, right? Otherwise, they would have made him king. They wouldn't have crucified him. He says here, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So the natural happens, right? People all over hearing about this leper, Jesus healing people. The line's getting super long, right? I mean, just the, the line out of the synagogue just, I mean, wrapping around for miles because everyone wants to see him. Everyone wants to hear him. And what does he do in the midst of all that? He does something that might seem cruel and unloving. He just withdraws and goes and prays and spends time with his father. Isn't that wonderfully human? <laughs> Don't you just see the beautiful humanity of Jesus there? Identifying with our weaknesses, that there were limitations, humanly speaking, put on him as he lived this earth, even though he was fully God and could act in his full godness. He, he grew tired. He grew weary. He got tired of the crowds. He needed sleep. He needed rejuvenation. He can identify with you. He understands, what that, he understands what that's like. And he would withdraw because he needed time with his father. He needed to pray. Jesus knew the importance of doing all the father's will, which included prayer. You could go on for hours and talk about this. I mean, if Jesus, if Jesus, the God man, needed prayer, needed to commune with the father, how much more do we, right? I mean, to survive. If Jesus needed prayer, if he needed isolation, if he needed to get away and retract and be alone with God, how much more do we? Because prayer by default declares or lies about God's sufficiency. 
So if, if, if you're just prayerless, so there's, and listen, we're all in this boat, okay? We all struggle in prayer. It's tough to do. It's a labor, Paul calls it. I'm so glad he, he says that because it gives me encouragement that even the apostle Paul had to labor in prayer and struggle to pray. It doesn't take away its value. So if your life is prayerless, it's actually ascribing a, a belief you have about God's sufficiency. You don't really believe he's fully sufficient. You don't really, you're fully at his disposal for all things. You think you're fully sufficient and you can run your life the way you want. So if even Jesus needed to access that, to learn and grow and walk, wow. I mean, how much more do we need to get alone? And, and here's the other thing that you see. Some of us are, are wringing our lives out for the gospel. To a point where you need to just get alone and pray. Like you're just doing a lot of stuff. You're serving your heart out. Your face is in your Bible. You're being a good missionary. You're talking to people about Jesus. You're, 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 man, you're, you're repenting of sin. You're, you're getting in a good community with the other members of the church. Man, you're, you're doing all those things. You know what you need? You, you need to actually withdraw appropriately and get alone with them. Because you've got to have the whole package. So that can fuel all these things you do so you don't kill yourself. I mean, if even Jesus did this, you do this. Now, let me say this. There's some of you, you need to get off your couch Seriously, get off your recliner. I mean, you've been sitting in there for years. And you need to get your face in your Bible. You need to start getting on your knees in prayer. You need to start gathering with some brothers and sisters that can see your sin and, and you can confess with, you can grow in grace with, and, and actually mature as a disciple of Jesus. Right, so there's both of these, right? I mean, there's both of these that you need to have, right? So I don't know which spectrum you're on, but maybe examine your heart and ask God where he might need to woo you and pull you out. Some of you guys just need to get up, be present, serve, give yourself. And all that, though, where does prayer lead us? Prayer leads us to seeing the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of his work in the gospel, that we were lepers, that we were vile, that we, were, we had deformities of sin that was rotting our soul, that we were outcasts. We had no hope of salvation. We had no hope of, of a holy God wanting us anywhere near him, lonely in our sin. And what did he do? He touched us through the finished work of his son, through his blood that was shed, through his risen body that he declared full authority over Satan, sin, and death. And he said, it's finished. I've got it. Let me, let me dress you in white. Let me heal you. Be made new. Walk. Let's ask him to remind us of that. God, thank you that you're a God that heals, that makes clean. God, sometimes I feel like we read passages like this and we can think about the great news of the gospel like this and, and God, I'm, I'm so frustrated because I know the heart's tendency is to say, I've heard this, I know this, but we don't. God, if we, if we truly knew the wonder of grace, our lives would look very different. If we truly daily meditated upon the wonder of mercy, our attitudes and behaviors would be different. God, make us more keenly aware than we presently are of the great grace you showed us in Christ, of the cleansing work of Jesus. God, thank you for not just forgiving us. Thank you for making us clean. God, I pray for those in this room who just are feeling guilt, shame, condemnation. They'd see the expiating work of the cross, that it's removed, that it's gone, that it was sent away. God, that their heart would not remain there, that their past would not be their greatest thief. God, they'd walk in the newness of life that you've clothed them in. They would enjoy being the righteousness of Jesus. 
they would consider that, that they'd think about that. That we, we tangibly have Christ. We have you. God, for those in this room who are lost in their sin, God, don't see you as beautiful, don't see you as good, don't see you as healing and gracious and kind. May you show them that. May you reveal the reasons you came to die for sinners, to purchase imperfect people for his own, to make them clean, to forgive of sin, all to the praise and glory of the Father, so that you might be worshipped. God, might many more in their leprosy of sin be healed. God, may we see the gospel go forth in New Jersey and the New York City metro area. May you use us as ambassadors of reconciliation. May we be faithful witnesses to this good grace we've been given. And God, as we observe the Lord's Supper, may we consider and think about the wondrous work of the blood that was shed and body that was broken to make us clean. In Jesus' name, amen.